Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can hear faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's today's lesson. This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. This is the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. Luke 21, verses 5 to 19. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you, They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. The Word of God this morning. Luke 21, verses 5 to 19. This is a passage that's not easy to fully understand or interpret. Such passages have been the basis for a lot of books, sermons, and teachings on the end of times. We need to approach them with caution, not making them say things we want them to say and mean. Of course, this is always true for uh, the Bible in general, or at least it should be. So we see Jesus and his disciples, they're leaving the temple or passing by it at least, and someone comments to Jesus about the beauty of the temple. Uh, The temple was built by Herod the Great, and it was magnificent. It had these marble pillars some 40 feet tall. It had some elaborate stonework. It was engraved by the most skilled stone cutters and craftsmen. Um, Gold also adorned it. In the entrance there to the temple, it was carved an intricate cluster of grapes, uh, symbolizing Israel as the, the people of God. And they were just awestruck by it. Not Jesus, though. He had already wept over the temple. He somberly says, the days are coming when this temple will not be left standing, not one stone on top of another. And we know that happened, that that day came in uh, AD 70 when Rome destroyed the temple and most of Jerusalem for that matter. Jesus saw where the misplaced religious zeal and nationalism would lead his people. Even their views of the Messiah were greatly shaped by such concerns. 
for they wanted a military Messiah, one to overthrow the Romans and set up Israel as the great kingdom it had been under David, and even greater than that, a magnificent temple filled each day with many people and impressive rituals would not save them. The one who could save them was right there in their midst, but only to be himself a temple they would seek to destroy. The irony here is that you may recall that one of the chief charges brought against Jesus when he was brought to trial is that he predicted the destruction of the temple, taking it to mean by some that he and his followers would do it. The disciples, always ready to ask the wrong questions at the wrong times, want to know more about all of this, especially when will it happen. Jesus begins by warning them that many will try to lead them astray when they ask and seek answers to such questions. Teachers and false messiahs will come in his name, claiming to be sent by him to get to their support and following, claiming that they have superior knowledge of the end times, even to the point of saying that it is near, or here's a sign that surely means it is near. Jesus simply and bluntly says, do not go after them. In other words, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Which, in a way, is much of what Paul says through his letters to the Thessalonians, who were so troubled by the false teachers among them. So Jesus warns about those persons who claim to know far more than they possibly can about such things. Uncertain times cause people to look for messiahs for persons to reassure them, to lead them. But then he goes on to say there are some things that must happen before that time comes. It will not come right after the fall of the temple that he has just predicted. Neither will it come when they are hearing about wars and rumors of wars. They are not to let such idle talk and speculations terrify them. The end is still not yet. Jesus says before the end there would be great conflicts between nations, and would even influence the natural world. But still, this was not the end. He warns them that far from being taken up to heaven in the rapture, they will suffer. They will be arrested, persecuted, and tried, just like what was about to happen to him. Still, this was not the end. Such times, Jesus says, you are not to seek to be delivered from, but see as opportunities to speak on behalf of God's kingdom and will. Recall how Jesus did that at his own trial. He seeks to reassure them that when those days come, God will be with them. God will give them the courage and the words they need to make a good defense and witness. And think about uh, some of those stories in Acts about how the disciples did just this when brought before the authorities who were often astounded that these were, were just unlearned individuals and how bold they were. Jesus warns them that they would be hated because of their faith, because they go and live by his name. But in the end, they were in God's hands, and the authorities, as powerful as they were, could not finally harm even one hair on their heads, as elsewhere Jesus had assured them that God had numbered every hair on their head. They could kill the body as they would with Jesus, but that was not the end of him, was it? They tumbled his temple, but in three days God raised it up. 
Note how Jesus ends with much the same words as Paul. By standing firm, you will gain life. Continue to work, to serve, to be faithful. Do not become distracted by those who would mislead you, even coming to you in my name. Keep focused on the work at hand. See, the future is the major theme in our reading today. In the story, it's, it's, a, bit more, it's a bit ominous, to say the least. The future is not really emphasized or talked about in any great deal. The emphasis is on faithfulness in the midst of present troubles, not letting speculations about the future or the troubles of the present distract from the responsibilities of the present. And this applies to us today. So often we get caught up in the minor troubles and annoyances in our lives that we forget why we are here, which is to simply glorify God with all that we say and do. We have God's word. We know what the future holds. We simply need to continue his faithfulness. We see another theme as hope. The disciples are facing persecution, and that looks like it will continue for some time. But they are also being troubled by false teachers about the end times that are just confusing and distracting them. We need to look for hope. And we see that passage gives them hope in light of these things and to refocus them on what's really important. Living as faithful disciples in troubling times the in-between times. Finally, we see work as another theme. We know throughout the Bible, Paul encourages us and actually commands the idle people to get back to work. God promises a satisfying work of enjoying it and its benefits, its fruits. We see the work of the disciples bearing witness in the midst of suffering and opposition. So how do we apply what we've learned here today? First, we know that God has a glorious kingdom waiting for us. He will be back to take us to the place he has prepared and to judge those whom have not accepted his free gift of salvation. If you haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, do it today. Don't wait. Whatever our current situation is, we are to remember why we are here. We are to glorify God. We are to go into all the world and spread the gospel message. The best tool for spreading the gospel is your life. Does it honor and glorify God? Can people tell you are a Christian by the way you talk and act? Remember, no matter how bad things get for us, and we know persecution will come to Christians before Christ returns, we are not to give up hope. Christ died for our sins and will be back for us. Keep on living the Spirit-filled life. We cannot simply sit around and wait for the rapture. We were put here to do a job, so let's do it to honor God. Let us close with prayer. Merciful God, we come before you this day as those who are often afraid to confess all the many ways in which we have disappointed and betrayed you. You have given us continual opportunities to serve and love others, but we have withdrawn into lives of selfishness and greed. 
We have turned our backs on others in need. We have denied the gifts you have given us. Where can we turn now that we have run from you? Your voice calls to us to come home, to come to you unafraid, to receive forgiveness and healing. Open our hearts this day to receive these magnificent blessings. Help us understand the many ways in which you love us and help us share that love with all those whom we meet. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.